You're a little quiet. Am I? Yeah, you should do a little mic check. Do a little mic check for the people. A little, little something, something. One, two, three. One, two, three. Better. It's much better. We'd be chilling with Barnaby on a hoops mother freaking hoop journey. I got Corbin look through the program. He's digging in the crates. Wants to know more about my boy who used to just put people on skates when he was on the court. He was a bucket for sure. Couldn't go left, but that jumper was pure. <laughs> go left and shoot, man. Represent the gray ghost. We know he was Ooh. born. Hooped it up for the Lethbridge Prongs. You knew the Lord Bing. How did now you know Lord Bing? Some say he's I. Some might say he's the best. But we all know he's still representing for the Canada West. Uh, and it's like that. <laughs> yeah. Done. Done. We're out. Nice job. How, how, what do we do with F-bombs, man? Am I, am I got to watch fire, myself? You can fire them away. We'll cut them out, though. Just give Corbs more work. So fire away with the F-bombs, man. <laughs> uh, I'd like them to be left in there, man. I mean, it's got to be authentic. So, <laughs> Well, like, people will understand that it's from the heart, you know? I don't know what else. Should I ask anything else? Anything else I need to know? I don't feel like I have any questions, dude. I mean, I'm just going to chop it up, you know? Yep. And then, like, uh, definitely less is not more. So, like, don't feel like you're rambling. Say what you got to say. I don't want you to wake up tomorrow or, like, in an hour. Or be like, or be like Gil, who is just texting me saying he wants me on to be on again because he didn't do enough research and take it serious enough the first time. Like, how f***ing classic is that for Gil Chung, right? Like, <laughs> is there a zero... Is there a zero surprise there? Uh, He was probably on the golf course doing it, just kind of putting his phone down and chatting and watching Madden hit balls. Right? You go, feel like I should come on twice. I said, do you have more to say? So much more for real. Now I've listened to a couple others and I know what's up. Just didn't take it for real the first time. Hey, I said, ha ha ha. No, now I know. Idiot. One and done, son. That's all you get, Gil. That was your chance, yep. man. Right? You only get one shot. Chance to blow. All right, we'll do a little three, two, one, and then um, I'll do an intro, and we'll get going right away. Sound good? Yeah, buddy. All right, man. I'm excited to have you on. It's good to hear your voice. Okay, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoops Journey. Uh, I am jacked up for this one. Uh, recording on a morning, got a coffee here. Um, a good buddy of mine, guy whose career I know lots about. One of the best coaches we have in Canada. Um, a decorated player and coach. A former monkey, represented uh, the monkeys back in the day in the Dolphin Park Classic. So I had the pleasure to uh, not receive any passes from him and watch him shoot a lot. Uh, guy who played at Langara, uh, Lethbridge, All-Canadian, uh, CIS, U-Sport, whatever you want to call it, Coach of the Year, Canada West Coach of the Year, only coach to lead three separate programs to the national championship. We are absolutely thrilled to have Barnaby Craddock on. Sir, how are you? 
Hey, easy, easy with the sir stuff, man. I'm getting close to 50. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that personal. But uh, you know what? It's awesome to be on here, uh, Mitch. We don't, we don't talk enough as it is. So it'll be fun to, uh, to chop it up. And, uh, you know, just, just even thinking about coming on, it was fun just to go back and start thinking about my high school days and, you know, basketball in Vancouver. And I know a lot of the listeners here are probably uh, more lower mainland or BC based, right? So, you know, you and I've got all the same contacts and friends and uh, it's, it should be fun. Looking forward to it. And uh, I, if I'm being totally honest, I can, I will not reveal names, but in the last couple of weeks, your name has come up as a request. We do have people that think they have the right to send us requests, <clears throat> not naming any names, but uh, your name has come up. So, and you know, from day one, I've, I've been on you to have you on. So I'm, I'm excited to have and, and thankful that you're here. How's everything going, man? Obviously, you know, from an athletics and a coaching standpoint, with with covid you guys made a decision early on to kind of pull the plug which has got to be you know stressful it's got to be tough um you're managing a family everything in life and and how are things going and how have you been able to find the positives or get through it and continue to push forward and you know keep the program rolling and doing what you can to uh keep keep everybody busy Hey, you know, we're, we're doing well. I mean, our, our, our problems, I mean, you see what COVID's doing around the world. And uh, so our problems of missing out on a basketball season or having to shut down for miss a practice here and there when you got to do some contact tracing. I mean, these things are, these things are minimal. We talk about that with our team here at, uh, at U of A, you know, it just keep things in perspective. You know, uh, we all have a passion. We want to play basketball. Hopefully we'll get some exhibition games in, in the new year. But those are all cherries on top. Right now, we got to deal with this pandemic, and uh, there's a lot of people have it worse than us. If our biggest problem is, you know, uh, missing out on some sport for a year in these circumstances, as much as it sucks, you know, we realize uh, some other people are dealing with, you know, people people dying and um, you know not being able to to put bread on the table because of the economic ramifications. So, um, you know, on, on a personal, personal note, not to get too serious, I'm three and O versus the virus. I'm kicking right now. I've had three tests, you know, three and O. So I'm, I'm doing well, fighting it off over here. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're, we're plugging away. Good man. I had to get, I had to get it done last week as well. And, uh, what do you think? I didn't think, you know, obviously there was lots of hype about it, but I, you know, the, 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 the sir mix a lot at the top of the brain sort of there, that felt a little weird, but other than that, it was, I didn't think it was too bad, man. I'm, oh, uh, I'm, I'm one and oh against the, the virus as well. Right. Congrats. It's a good record. That's what you, just what you want. Did, uh, so you had the one up the, the nose, we call that one the brain tickle. You had the brain yeah. tickle. I had the tickle. Yeah. They weren't tickling much cause there's not much up there, you know? <laughs> But yeah, well, yeah, both all three times I've been to the same place here. We live on the south side of Edmonton, and uh, it, it, I mean, it's unbelievable. I go in there, and there's a lineup of 100 people, and they're just processing people through. And I'm trying to do the math in my head about how many people they're rolling through there. And I'm starting yeah. to, you know, these days with the U.S. politics and everyone's head, and I'm starting to think about the free health care and how we're rolling everyone through here. These people are wearing masks and, you know, cut, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say putting their lives in jeopardy, but I mean, they're dedicated volunteers out there doing all this testing and just rolling through person after person after person. And, you know, so I say thanks to them when, 
my daughter and I roll through there. I mean, it's impressive, right? And yeah. uh, it makes you it makes you thankful for you know. And I think we'll talk a little bit about my career and playing in Europe and stuff. But you know, like having that Canada leaf on your bag when you're traveling. Like, I mean, Canada is uh, you, you got some. It's easy to have some pride about some of the things we do here. Yeah, no, that's a great perspective, buddy. Yeah, couldn't agree more. You know, I got sent home quick and then I went and did the test and right over by Swangard Stadium in Central Park in Burnaby, they've set up um, one of the parking lots. So it's a drive through. And yeah. uh, and I went to that and I had no idea what to expect. I heard, you know, a couple different stories. Man, I was in and out in 35 minutes. And like you say, some lady like it was like out of E.T., man, like she basically would walk 30 feet away. You wait, you sit down, you get your test, your appointment, you drive away. She walks back to the, the place where you're sitting, sprays the whole thing down, walks back 30. I was like, man, these people are way yeah. better humans than I am, man. And like, yeah, I, you know, I did a lot of reflecting, too, because it didn't. Obviously, it's happening, but until you get that test, you kind of realize exactly what's happening behind the scenes, you know? So it's good perspective for sure for people to hear. Answer this for me. You still there? Do we lose Oh, I'm you? here. Okay. Uh, are, do you watch much hockey? No. I watch hockey. I'm in Canada. I can't not watch hockey. What's the question? Well, one of our grads, a buddy of mine, Kyle Turris, just signed with the Oilers. So, you know. Okay. All right. Yeah, and and also uh, the uh, I know the Edmonton weatherman there, Josh Klassen. It's my boy. <laughs> Did you go to high school with him or what? No, man. He's a friend through my wife, so you know. Yeah, you know it's it's funny because coming from Vancouver, which I think is you know maybe the best city in the world, and uh, you know the Lower Mainland, throw that all in there together. Uh, you know, I didn't know much about Alberta when I first came out here. Was Lethbridge in southern Alberta for university, and now uh, after I was at Fraser Valley coaching, you know, moved out here for the job at U of A in Edmonton, and. You know, you just learn so much about a different province. Like, there's a million people in Edmonton. I don't think people realize what a big city it is and how multicultural it is. And I think, uh, I mean, Alberta as a whole is probably a less multicultural province than than some places. But I mean, the city of Edmonton is 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 bustling and multicultural, and uh, you know, it's a big city. It's uh, we enjoy living here. Yeah, good. That's awesome, man. Good. Um, all I remember is uh, the Butter Dome and White Ave and the hotel, and that's oh, yeah. pretty much it. But uh, and the baseline, the baseline out of bounds for the end of the game. Oh, you got to shade the hoop, man. Too soon, too soon. Yeah, not my. Not, you know, I I didn't get caught on the back screen and give up the layup, but I didn't shade the hoop, so you know that's on me, right? <laughs> Let's go. Listeners might want to know about that story. Did you and Gil talk about it or what? No, we didn't talk about that story. No, no. Should we just? Should we just get into it right now? I don't know. That's on you. I wasn't there. I just hear from you guys who are my friends. I think it's funny. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we lost at the end. Of, we lost at the last second against Alberta. Um, I think we. I can't remember if we beat them the first night. No, we. I think we beat them the next night. But the first night, yeah, end out of bounds play, come scrambling out last second because. Jerry was talking forever in the time. Oh, I'm pretty sure that coach, the refs were ready to inbound the ball on us. Simple box play. I'm on the inbounder back screen layup at the horn. And somehow it was on me because I didn't shade the hoop. So, which I fully own. I did not shade the hoop. I was <laughs> almost square to the square to my guy, but you know, there's, yeah. 
on, on, a, on a related note here, whenever I do coaching clinics, yeah, like for high school and youth, because if you ever go out and watch, like you know, from grade seven kids to high school kids, and someone's gonna run a screen the screen or inbounds to get a backdoor layup, right? Yeah, and it's just over and over. So every coaching clinic I'm at, I'm like, hey. Just save yourself a few points every game and have the guy guarding the inbounder shade the hoop because it's, it's you know, it's funny, right? You know, and now that I think of it, it's a bit of a dark cloud because I, this is on me, like STM varsity boys give up 30 to 45 points a year off uh, screen the screener and outplay. That's, yeah. Like, so if you're playing our team, run that. You're guaranteed a bucket. Yeah. I don't know how I got to 45. Maybe that's an and one to make it odd numbers, but uh, yeah. The other, <laughs> the, other one the other one I talk about at coaching clinics is the automatic rule of the other team scoring. If you shoot with like less than seven seconds left in the quarter, like the other team gets the rebound and gets a layup going. At every high school game I go to recruit at, like all the time. It's just like, just don't shoot the ball. Like, honestly, yeah. if you shoot the thing with more than seven seconds left in the half and you could have held it longer, they're scoring the other direction. That's automatic. Yeah. Look at this. We're 12, 14 minutes in and we've already dropped nuggets on these people, man. Like, get your notepads out. I thought we were 14 minutes in and hadn't talked about anything. I was like, <laughs> people have I tuned thought, out, dude. They're like, these I guys thought, aren't talking about Jack. I felt like we've talked about a lot, but hey, whatever, teach their own. Let's get into it, man. You know, and that's, it's fun to hear that you said, you know, we had uh, Levon Kendall was our previous guest and uh, he talked about it too, you know, making dinner, kind of going back and reflecting. And that's been the fun part doing this for Corbin and I is uh, hearing people just taking those moments to go back. And when you think about your days growing up out here, you know, in Vancouver and what your life was like, what were you like as a little guy, you know, uh, like sports for you, what were you involved in? And and then we'll kind of move into how basketball just starts to become a passion for you. Yeah. I mean, my parents were both from uh, England and came over to Canada. So soccer, soccer was big football is that they would have preferred to call it so it was always soccer and i was always uh, an athletic kid man all i wanted to do was play sports and at some point i transitioned into uh basketball and and, and baseball um and it's funny when i was at uh lord bing which you know just on the road there out to ubc um you know they had they'd had a good team and so we'd go out and watch the you know and it was uh Jason Leslie was the guy. I think he's a principal out in Richmond right now. Yeah. Um, who ended up playing at UBC, and uh, there was a, a few other guys. Um, so you know, and they made it decently deep. And we would go out to the Agrodome, which is another thing you and I got to talk about. Like how fun is being to see you and other friends at the Agrodome over the years. And now they've moved it out to LEC. And no offense to LEC, but us old school, they're always going to miss the Agrodome, man. Like. <laughs> awesome was that um but uh see agrodome's still there they torn it down no it's still it's still up levon said the exact same thing too he said he you know he's like i don't follow the high school hoop scene as much and but I, he goes i did go to the lec last year and he's like man just wasn't the same you know so yeah it's still yeah. it's still standing 
What was that breakfast joint we used to go to across the street? Oh, uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I should know. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, and during the time when, when that was, that was when the Richmond Colts were just dominant. It was super Colts, and that was Putsey. And I remember going out to watch, I think it was at UBC, they played uh, DeMatha, and John Wooden brought his team up. And mm-hmm. once in a while, I see rankings about the best teams ever, high school teams in BC. I mean, and I would like to see, I would put that Putsey, uh, Tate, uh, trying to remember the other guys on that team. I mean, that team was, those guys were unbelievable. And, uh, and, uh, but yeah, no, that was, that was the time. So, um, our high school team, we never, we never made it that far. Um, but, uh, luckily I found a way to, to get into, uh, to Langara. I never did that well academically, uh, back in those times. I just wanted to play ball, you know, and, yep. uh, and Kev and the sister was Perry Scarlett at the time, who's an awesome uh, friend and love that guy. You know, those guys took a chance and uh, had me on there at Langara. And man, I, 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 I love that Langara experience, you know, like, you know, sometimes you and I have even like, I'll take a picture in the hallway of someone's like shot. Cause they got everyone's headshots up there on the wall, in Langara, you know, and that's just, just good, good memories, man. Have you, I haven't, I haven't seen a game there in forever. Have you ever gone back and seen a game? Yeah, I've been to, you know, a couple of the alumni games. And then, uh, yeah, it's so weird to watch a game there because, like, I don't know, you just realize how small the gym is. But, yeah, there's so many good memories. And, yeah, you know, obviously Jake's the AD, so we keep in good touch and do what we can to kind of support the program and stuff and Eve doing his thing there. So they've gone orange and black, though, right? And there's no more green and white. So that's a bit of an yeah. adjustment. Yeah. Well, they got they got to do what they got to do. That's all good. True, but okay. But let let's go back to high school a little bit. So you know, you brushed it off quickly and said, "Oh, you know, we weren't that great." But what what was it about basketball that drew you in? Was it because you could just grab the ball and kind of go hoop on your own, or did you have a group of buddies that you you enjoyed hooping with, or was it those guys that were ahead of you, you know, that you looked up to that were like, Oh man, that, that was what drove you, even though maybe you didn't make it to the dome per se or whatever, but those were the guys that you looked up to and wanted to emulate. Like what was it about basketball that kind of got you to say, to be wanting to go to Langara? You know, I was, I was always a jock and sports were my first thing. And I kind of cycled through like i feel like i started soccer and i kind of got burnt out of it and then all of a sudden basketball was was the new thing and you know and there was there was some culture with it at that time like we used to have you know run dmc and eric b and rakim playing on our you know (laughs) you know as we would play outdoor on the courts and it was fun and exciting i think i mean basketball you know, not just for you and me and the listeners, but I mean, just, I mean, I don't know, is it the second most popular sport in the world after soccer? I mean, there's, there's a reason it's fast. It's up tempo. I mean, the, the way you can practice by yourself or with friends, it's, uh, and, and for me, eventually what it came down to was the, the competition, man, I love to compete at that sport. And I would just go anywhere, anywhere in the lower mainland. I mean, People will make fun of me because I played at Kitts. Like if they went to Kitts Beach and I wasn't out there, then it must have been a crappy game. Like I was there all the time. And that was a huge part of where I learned to just compete at a super high level because you never wanted to leave the court. 
you know, and, and, and I, I look at that in our recruitment to this day, when I'm looking at kids coming out of high school or, you know, they're in their first years with the program, those guys are just, are, are leaving it out there. Everything that's competitive, you know, they're going, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know if we get any kids listening to this show, but, you know, coaches that are trying to instill that in their kids, like just that level of compete, like that's, that's something when you're playing pickup ball and you know, if you lose, you're not getting back on that court for two and a half hours you know like and uh i used to go everywhere man bonzer out in uh, burnaby we would just go out there to find a game you know sfu ubc we would just try to find when there was the best pickup and we always wanted the best runs you know and you, you were probably the same way like you wanted to compete you're trying to find where the best players were uh were playing you know they uh i gotta say i miss those days man it wasn't it wasn't complicated you just wanted to hoop yeah, it's true, man. There's something sweet, like it's bringing back the memories too. And um, I, I agree. And, and I think for a lot of players that maybe didn't have uh, like a group of guys or girls around them that they drove them to be competitive, a lot of the people we've talked to that, you know, and I'm not a knock on your team, but like you obviously were kind of a step ahead and, and had a bigger passion than maybe a lot of your teammates. So, but you went out of your way to find that that game and that competition and that get step out of that comfort zone, which is huge, right? Just making those, those leaps and, and rolling up and being like, maybe you only know three dudes on your squad, but like, Hey, me and my boy, we want to run, like, let's go. And next thing you know, you're clicking. And I think like, there's something to be said for basketball too, when you don't know someone and you don't have time and you're just like within the game trying to figure out what is this like that's making you a better and more intelligent player right as opposed to like we tell our kids all the time like they just want to compete against each other in our gym i'm like why you already know what each other do and don't do like go pick up with some guy who you have no idea and then play against some dude who you have no idea and if they hit a shot on you then you got to play him tighter or you know if you throw the ball to your guy and he shoots it and, it, and it's not an you know not, not a nice looking shot then don't give it to him there you know like all the little things that you pick up on are so cool and yeah I agree, man. I miss those times too. For sure, man. I think there's been a couple of movies like that too, where like a group of guys will go, you know, probably in New York and they'll go across town and play someone from another borough. And I don't know, for us, we always felt like that was the thing. We wanted to go and play other people and get into it with them and see where we stood and challenge ourselves, you know? And I definitely look for that in, in recruits now, like people that have that edge and want to compete. But, uh, you know, it, it was funny, like even going down and playing at Kitts Beach and it would be like, you know, two o'clock on a Friday and we're 16 or 17 and 18 and there's a bunch of 25 and 30 year old guys and you're you know you're wondering what jobs they have to be able to play down there at 2 p.m all the time but you know like <laughs> like that's how you would get better you know and uh, mm -hmm. so we really enjoyed that man that was that was fun yeah man for sure just don't ask too many questions about what they do for a living you know <laughs> <laughs> um so then, you know, you're, you're, you're starting to get obsessed with the game. It's grade 12. You got kind of average academics and you said like, you know, well, I know I can relate. I mean, uh, you said like, you, you said Perry and Kev did a favor bringing you on, but like, were you not thinking post-secondary right away or was it something you kind of just stumbled across or like, I'm just, how did, how did you yeah. end up at Lang? I mean, I was fortunate because my family's an academic family, right? Like both right. my parents were profs at UBC. My sister's currently a prof at UBC, like all oh, families, all teachers. So, you know, that post-secondary thing was just kind of, 
you know, I don't know if I would say expected, but it wasn't a question. Yeah. You know, but at the same point, I was a bit of a rebel, you know, trying to party and play basketball and not care about my academics. And then what I really turned it on was, I mean, Kevin Perry took a shot with me there at at Langara and uh, I like to think I earned it. I would go out and play. They would have pickup ball all the time and kind of test out new recruits. And I think I competed to a level where they're like, we should give this guy a shot. And I mean, the whole thing with my basketball game was I was... I was never the best and I was never the most athletic and I definitely was very unorthodox, you know, like I didn't come out of a high school program that had a bunch of skills drilled into me by some ex Ken Shields protege, you know, we were just people that wanted to play and our technique was a little wonky, but I just played so much and loved it so much that I managed to get to a level that I could, I could compete and um, you know, going, going to Langara and finally starting to really get taught some, some skills was where I really, you know, started to learn the game of basketball and, uh, sort of rambling now. I forget what I was. Not at all, man. No, you're making a good point. I think like, I think some people think that you're supposed to, and just like even life, like we put this on these kids that are 16 and 17 and be like, okay, you got to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. It's like you're going to change so much in the next five years. And then we think that you're supposed to be at your best when you're coming out of high school and being a university coach. Like you're probably seeing guys in their fourth year that are just coming into their prime and then they got one more year to play. You know, like physically our peak is like when those guys are in their fifth year. So super interesting to hear like you're just learning the game. You know, it was the competitive side that got you into it. And then you finally get, you know, a coach like Kev and Perry to, to teach you a little bit more about the game and, you know, make things a little simpler for yourself. So that's, that's good stuff. Yeah, It's funny, man. I can remember, like, I can remember teaching lessons from those guys that I pass on to this day, you know, and it's like, we were playing, uh, it was my, it was my first year there at Langare. We were playing up in, in Kelowna. So that would have been, what were they called at, the, at that time? Oh, UBC. Geez. It wasn't it was UBCO, no. It was. Oh, it's not. It was. It, there was Caribou, which was Kamloops, and then uh, Okanagan, where they Okanagan College, Okanagan I think. University the, College. Oh, right? you see. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I turn, I get. What do I do? Oh, I, I take a drive and I miss. And then all of a sudden I pick up the guy that gets the rebound and try to steal it from him in the backcourt and, you know, just cardinal sin and, and commit a turnover 75 feet from our own hoop, right? Because I'm getting subbed off and Perry and Kev are like, hey, look, like when you make a mistake, you can't just go and, you know, take the ball away, you know? Like stuff that, that you know, like lessons that you're passed on years later. It's funny how these ones uh, uh, stick with you. And then, uh, but with your earlier question, like I was, I was unorthodox. I was more of a street baller hooper competitor. And as much as I wanted to go to UBC, Bruce ends at the time just wasn't interested. There was guys that out there that were more, uh, technically sound and played a more traditional game. I mean, that's why guys like Gerald Cole and John Dumet, who were, you know, to be honest, much better basketball players than I were. Right. And, th- and that's right. why. I never got the interest there at, uh, at UBC. And so yeah. I, I jumped off and, and Langara was great for me. I got a chance to play at the next level. I got a chance to learn and got to a level where some universities were interested in me and went out to, uh, to Lethbridge. But I also learned how to excel finally academically. Like when I finally went to Langara, I'm like, okay, like 
this isn't high school. Like if I'm getting a goal here, I'm not going to waste my time. So I, you know, I would get a B average or whatever in a bunch of kinesiology classes. And, um, that was, that was obviously an important part of being able to make the next jump to, you know, to Canada West. And, yeah. uh, but those, those Langara teams at the time, I mean, Just, I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about best players we've played with and stuff, but I mean, we had Novell on my team and Paul Williscroft. Those are two of the guys to this day, they're probably two of the best players I've ever played with. I think they both had national team stints at some level. And, yeah. uh, and Novi in practice, I just remember, like, he was out of, he, like, you know how people play defense? And you're, like, I don't know where he learned it, but he would always flip up at the ball. Like, he'd be in a defensive stance. He'd have that front hand out, and he'd be tapping up. And, like, every day in practice, he would pop it out of someone's hands, you know, just one-on-one defense, up in the air, go grab it, lay it in all smooth like Novi does on the break. And, uh, man, you, like, it's funny because at the time I didn't realize how good he was. Then you see what he goes on to do at SFU and, and after that. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, man, those those – college teams at the time i mean it was the uh, you know i mean I'm not trying to put down what the college level is right now at bc but i think just because of expansion it's kind of just factual that for the, sure the level of talent was a lot higher back then well that's what i want to touch on yeah before you move to lethbridge is i think like late 80s kind of early 90s and then you know going from there like that's when you know, as recruiting started to change, how coaches looked at players changed. It was like that league was definitely a stepping stone because of the lack of number of universities that you could go to, right? And that's why I was hoping you would touch on that. Like, I mean, we've had Nov on the show. Everyone knows the story. He was phenomenal. But like Paul Williscroft, are you kidding me? Cool. Like, like the guy was a problem, right? Like he was yeah. so good. Yeah. 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 No, Paul was unbelievable. I do think he had a sniff with a national team here and there. Maybe like I want to say even maybe with the senior national team. And he was he was really good. And uh, you know, he, I ended up actually bringing him over to one of the teams I was playing professionally with in Europe. So I played with him a little bit over in Ireland for a while too, which was interesting. But, That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, no, that uh, it, it was different, and then, you know, I mean, recruitment's crazy now with the expansion Canada West being seventeen teams, and I think that's. I don't think we have the perfect uh, fit for Canada and just the way the college and universities work together. You know, I mean, our, our right. league's a lot more watered down. It's watered down the college league. There's just been. I mean, I would just argue there's been too much expansion. Um, I don't know if it'll ever get fixed at this point, but I don't think it's as optimal as, as it once was. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then, you know, you're talking about just not being able to, you know, have an opportunity with, with necessarily UBC, but you want to move on from there. And then you end up at Lethbridge and um, like, just talk about that experience and one, why, why did you choose there? Was it the only option? And, you know, you played for Crookie, right? Was, did you play for Crookie all three years? Yeah, all three years. Yeah. I mean, it, and Crooks. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that's a guy that, you know, his style, like seeing him coach and I, I'm pretty sure we played against his team when he was at Winnipeg and just, you know, I feel like you guys were a good fit, right? So it's funny how life works like that. Like maybe you're like, I'd love to be in Point Grey and go to UBC, but you end up at Lethbridge and then you really start to flourish, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, that's. I mean, Kirk's a, a legend, man. I mean, that guy doesn't get enough respect for what he's done for, for basketball, in my opinion, and just the, 
Let's pause that. there for a sec. I actually like Googled them before, not to cut you off, but, and was just, and I, that was the thing that came across my mind too. I was like, sometimes we just get so, and especially in this era of like the Carlton where they win all the time. It's like, we forget about so many other people, right? Like Levon talked about Simon Dykstra and how important he was. And I think from the high school level, we forget about a Simon Dykstra because he's just goes about his business as a quiet, humble dude, but a great coach. And Crookie has been around and had success and and worked at programs that maybe a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't want to, you know? And and I agree. I think we do sleep on on him a little bit. So well, he, coached, that. he coached uh Levon. I don't know if Levon talked about that, but Levon put on forty uh for the national team when they beat the USA in like the junior nationals or something like uh junior Yeah, we World talked about that. You know, and Crook was the coach. And at the time, that was one of the, I think that was the only age group win Canada had over the U.S. or something like that. Like, it was a big win. Crook's had a a lot of success. Anyways, I love that guy. uh, Probably the biggest mentor to me uh, outside of my my family. So, um, but yeah, he he took a chance. I think him and Kev had a relationship. So Kev said, hey, UBC's not interested in this guy. You know, so I go out to Lethbridge and there's people with cowboy hats in the hallway. And I'm like, where? (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know anything about Southern Alberta. I just knew that I wanted to play ball. And here was a team at the next level that was going to give me a shot. So I was going. You know, so I go out there and it turns into great three years and I got some awesome friends and played with some just some fantastic uh, guys out there. But, uh, you know, uh, the, the thing was too, like the guys that were on the UBC team at the time, and we'll say like Gerald and John Dumont, uh, Gerald Cole, uh, like I would go back in the summer and, and play one-on-one and they you know Gerald would give it to me sometimes, you know, like I just got to, they had such more depth and talent at UBC, but all of a sudden I go to a, a smaller school in Lethbridge and I kind of get the ball so I can go do what I want and get more shots. So, you know, it, it, it that kind of played into my hands and, and helped me develop. And to be honest, you could see that dynamic with a lot of Canadians that aren't good enough to play at a high level of NCAA D1 that kind of float around trying to go down to the States and maybe you can make a bench. Anyone can make a bench and sit there and be the 12th man or 11th guy, but maybe that kid stays at home in Canada and plays Canada West and you know gets to play 30 minutes a game and all of a sudden you know, your game has advanced to a point where you can go and play professionally for a few years and have a career. And I think that was one of the things like Lethbridge was the right spot for me. It was the right fit. I got to play, I got the ball in my hands. And, uh, so that, that was a, a perfect storm. And, uh, and Crook had to put up with me, man. I was a, I was a bit of a head case at the time. You know, I just, you know, I was, I was uh, stubborn and headstrong, which was maybe as much of, you know, what helped me have success. But in retrospect, man, the things you, you look back on is, and say, oh, man, I wish I'd done that different or, you know, like you really, you know, you learn from you learn from that when you're when you're coaching later in life. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So do you find yourself um, kind of tapping into those experiences and using them when you're recruiting, a you know, a player and they're worried about minutes or, you know, touches and things like that and using kind of your personal experience? Do you do you necessarily like share your story or do you just use it in the back of your mind as your sort of like psychology using that to kind of be like, Hey, U of A is the place for you. Yeah. I, 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 I think 
that's, you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses as, as a coach. And I think one of the strengths I've had is I have a, a broad background of various coaches, various playing styles, and even just my own personal lifestyle as, you know, I was a bit, you know, I, I think I look back, I feel like I was a bit of a punk as a kid, you know, I wanted to play ball and I wanted to party and my academics weren't as important. And then at a certain point, Luckily, I was somewhere along the line. I snapped in and put everything in line and worked hard academics and got the most out of myself on and off the court. But I use those experiences at the you know at the right time. I mean, if I've got a guy on my team that's struggling with academics or you know they're honest with me and tell me how they're not too interested in school right now, and then I can relate to him and be like, "Hey, man, I wasn't always you know like I I know where they're coming from. I think that allows me to relate and and I enjoy that part of coaching. I because I've been there, because people gave me a chance, I wasn't a straight-A student that was, you know, uh, first-team all-star at the Agrodome at Provincials. That wasn't me. So when I could find those guys that are a little bit more lost in their life, I'm able to, you know, relate a little bit and hopefully keep, try to try at least to keep them, keep them on path. So for sure, I use all those experiences. Yeah, that's awesome. And let's not like let's not eat too much humble pie here, right? Like you were a you were a second team All Canadian man, and you know a two time Canada West All Star. So like you you were a problem for Canada West and and the country, and and especially at a school like Lethbridge, like you say, you know people wearing cowboy hats in the hallways and crookies trying to do his thing, and and you know you you probably were a big reason that you know gave that program a little bit of momentum. You know what I mean? Hey man, we, we I mean, and Crick did a great job. They they became they went into nationals a couple of years after I was there, and we had some guys: uh, Bob White, Tim Rawlingson, Ryan Hall, Heidinger. Um, and interesting enough, it was, like the stuff I learned there, you know, and having Crook because Lethbridge has a high LDS population, right? So our team was always, you know, 50, 60% Mormon. And it was just never an issue, you know, like we would do different things on Saturday nights for sure. After a game, there were three or four of us who would go have a few uh, beverages, right? And, and enjoy, enjoy that time before we had to get back and work hard again on Monday, where, you know, whereas, you know, guys from the LDS community were doing that but man we all got, I mean it was such a good chemistry and you get, and that's where you learn things from a coach like Crook is like hey you know we're all getting along here on the court you two groups can do different things on the evening you don't always have to be best of friends off the court but he knew how to uh, get all those people to work t- work together and uh, I mean I, I'm still in touch with a, a bunch of those guys that I played with at Lethbridge some of them LDS some of them not I mean none of us care we're all friends and uh, that's that's a pretty uh, cool memory for me yeah and like you talked about too about the cultural thing like that's the the thing I maybe love the most about basketball right is yeah. just the different blends of people race religious background whatever it is all just like hooping man that's one of the things i love about basketball but can we talk about trying to win in lethbridge like let's not fool ourselves right like you talk about a couple beverages on a saturday what are you rolling up with the refs after two or (laughs) you know it's funny because i'm thinking about this like there is this uh you know and i know we're probably more lower mainland listeners so i don't know who will end up lifting but uh the team we played coaching they had John Dykstra, 
uh, Dumont, I believe Gerald was on that team. And uh, we beat them in overtime at our place. And those were the doubleheaders. They beat us handily, and they were a much better team than us. But you know, you just don't go into Lethbridge and win twice. And sure enough, there was this call that, you know, like Dykstra and I will talk about to this day where uh, people felt like, Dumont got fouled on the last shot of the the game and then it wasn't called and we beat them in overtime and, and Bruce Ans was like kicked out of the game and you know and in retrospect having gone back there to coach against Lethbridge a lot of times you know you, <laughs> there's some communities you can't help but feel that maybe the home team gets uh the, the odd call and uh you know brandon's another one of those communities like james hillis uh the regina coach for years tells a great story about how when he was playing for the cougars and they were at brandon and uh you know the the ball there's a big you know muddle up in the middle of the floor and the ball rolls out of bounds and hillis is right there you know thinking it's gone off the brandon guy and and the ref looks around and i think i know who the official was so i won't say his name but he kind of <laughs> He kind of looks around. He goes, "All right, close call to the home team." It's like you know. I think those are the type of things that sometimes happen in, in a in a small town like that. <laughs> All right, I, you know what? I, I appreciate and respect the fact that you're not like too proud to admit it. All right, yeah. Same with you too, UVic. All you UVic listeners, man. We all know nobody wins two in a row at UVic too. Don't even fool yourselves. Come on. Uh, you talk about the background of your family and then when do you start passport searching or did you already have dual citizenship or what did that look like and then starting to think about hey like i can get some experience and make some money and go see the world and play some hoops and continue on when does that start to be on your radar as well yeah, when I when I was playing there at Lethbridge, I started to talk to my dad about the ability to get dual citizenship. And that year that I graduated was the same year the Bosman ruling came in, and that was from this Belgian soccer player that basically sued the European Union in order to be wor- work as a non as a non foreigner in any European country. So then that rule kicked in, and now all of a sudden, all these European uh, leagues could accept uh, players from different countries. So my British passport, I didn't have to play in Britain. I could play in any European country as a local. And I was not I was not good enough to beat out any imports for an import job. Because these teams got 12 guys, and two of them are Americans coming out of wherever that didn't make the, the league. You know, So I'm now fighting for one of 10 spots instead of one of those two. And I never would have had a, a sniff. So, which is more impressive now. I see a bunch of guys, you know, like a bunch of Canadian guys are taking those import spots. Like, and, and that's impressive. That means they're beating out like high end D1 guys for, for some of those jobs. So that's the credit to, uh, you know, some of the level of improvement in Canadian basketball. But, um, I knew that was happening. Crook hooked me up with a guy who's still a good friend of mine out of uh, Montreal, coaches the Vanier Cheetahs. They're always in the college national championships. Andrew Herzog, he was a lawyer and represented guys overseas. So he ended up getting me my first job in Germany. And, uh, you know, that that was – I played over in Europe for six years. So I had eight different teams that I, I made a living. I managed to spend most of it every summer coming back. Um, <laughs> and what, a, what an experience that was, man. I mean, and Germany, the first country I go to, I get fired, right? Like we're 1-11 we're in 11 
Now, I can't say I was playing particularly great, but I sure as hell wasn't the problem with our team. Like we, we were a bunch <laughs> of third division guys that had just moved up to second division and couldn't quite compete. So I don't know if I want to tell this story, but uh, but yeah, Listen, I guess if you I wake up, if you wake up tomorrow morning, morning, we can yeah. delete it out. <laughs> well, I've never told the story, but uh, my mom passes away from from cancer. And while I'm over in Germany playing. And uh, so I've got to rush home. She And she actually passed away while I was on the flight back to Canada. So I get back and then, you know, I, I, I've told this German team, like, I'm trying to be super professional. I'll be like, hey, look, I'm going to be here. We're going to, you know, have a, a celebration of life and I'll, I'll come back for the following game. Like, I'm not sure I was going to miss a single game. You know, like I was really trying to hold on to my job and be professional. And they, they just told me not to come back. Like that's how they fired me. Right. And, and I had a guaranteed contract and I don't know, it was like for 30,000 us, let's say for the nine months or something. So we tried to sue, but I mean, that's when your eyes get open to, you know, like you're in Canada, how can you really hold this German club? You're trying to get a lawyer in the middle of Germany. Like it was just a nightmare. I couldn't get the money back. Right. So they were just able to release me. And I'd actually brought Simon or Ewing over to play with me in Germany because the team had another Bosman spot and, and Simon was a big guy and they needed a big guy. And I think he might've played in, in France for a year. Anyways, we bring Simon over and Simon ends up being the one, the club makes Simon shift my stuff back to me. Like that's how dirty it was. Like I was so like, <laughs> that was eye opening experience, man. It was as low as you could get right there. Are you for real? Yeah. Yeah. Dirty pool. eh? So, uh, so anyways, life goes on. And then the next few years I go back and get different jobs and I play and that team, by the way, went on to go like two and 40. Right. So I always felt justified. I'm like, yeah, look, you know, you fired me. It wasn't my fault, but Hey, that's how clubs are. Right. They're always going to blame one of the foreign players. And, um, but I went on, I played in France and, uh, which was awesome. And, uh, Portugal and Spain. And you know, what's crazy now, like, Back then when you would play, like the internet, like I remember going to internet cafes, like the internet wasn't big then, you know, like what were you doing during your spare time? I mean, I had two English channels. You could watch like CNN and once in a while, like, you know, Three's Company would come on with subtitles or something. Like you, you had no way to, if you're in Germany, everything's German. Nowadays, guys can ha- you know you can get on the internet and watch anything you want at any time. It was a whole different lifestyle back then that made it difficult. And for me, I was such a basketball junkie and didn't have a million other options in life that I was going to ride it out and try to you know live the dream for as long as I could. Okay, so we'll get to when that all came to an end uh, in a in a stormy hotel room in Iceland six years later. But uh, at that time, you know, I was just trying to hold on and play ball and collect a paycheck as, as much as I could. Did you really just drop three's company on us? Wow. You know that I was a big show, man. Everyone watched that back in the day. Just when I, just when I thought this podcast couldn't get any better. Can you imagine how politically incorrect that show is now? Oh, let's not go down that path. Yeah, yeah. Like many shows. Yeah, yeah. Like many shows. 
but I try to I'm trying to think what uh, what else happened over there. Yeah, yeah, that was my intro to uh, to professional sports, man. Getting gassed. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. And sorry to be. That's a super sad story to hear about your mom, man. I'm really sorry to hear that, and that's wild. I mean, so many probably so many emotions, right? Because you're just doing your thing and hooping, and then illness happens, and you make an effort to get back and you know, she passes away. Like that's yeah. not an easy thing to deal with. Right. And then trying to sort out your life back across Europe and like, must've been a crazy time in your life. It, it was a crazy time, but I mean, all of us have to go through that with our parents and uh, you know, my mom was a awesome human being, but um, you know, um, but yeah, no, went on and um do you want do you want to talk about that stormy night in Iceland, or is there a cool overseas story you got for us before we uh, get into the coaching career? Yeah, well, let's see. You know, I think the 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 best year I ever had over there was playing in Norway, of all places. It was the Oslo Kings, and they had this. Uh, they they pumped a bunch of money into their basketball league to make it like um, you know it was on television, for example, and uh, you know there was a lot of social stuff going on with it. So our team ends up winning the this BLNO, the inaugural year of this national championship, um, in uh, a five game series, right? And we had to we had to go back and forth to this town named Kongsberg, the Kongsberg penguins. And we were the Oslo Kings and they were televising these games and it was exciting. We kept winning, winning. So guess to the fifth game, best of five. I, I have one of my best games as a professional. I, so I, I was making a bunch of shots. We had two really strong Americans. One guy, Kelvin Woods out of San Diego. I'm still really good friends with awesome, awesome guy. But I fell out with like a couple minutes left and somehow they we we had a good team. We hold on and win in overtime, and then it was a party. So that was awesome. We win the the fifth game of a best of five in overtime for the national championship. That was that was sort of a highlight, you know. And, and Norway's obviously way down there on the list. I mean, I wasn't playing high end Italy. I mean, I'm not claiming to be the world's best professional, but uh, you know what? They were paying me paying me money and. That experience was, uh, you know, an awesome, awesome uh, experience. Um, and that was around that time, you know, I, I was coming back and, you know, some of the best jobs I ever had was was in those summers. Uh, Perry, who had coached me at uh, Langara, he was running as one of his side jobs was running the, the driving range at UBC's golf and course. So he would hire me say, once yeah. a week. I would go out at like five in the morning and pick like all these balls out of the golf course, right. The, out of the uh, driving range that were stuck in mud. And for that, he would let me like, I would play free golf the rest of the week till a point that the, the, the head of the, the pro shop at UBC had to call me into his office and uh you're playing too much what's that you're playing too much yeah he goes hey you're out here every day playing like how much do you work he goes right <laughs> and i sort of you know i just sort of take it and walk out and i go to perry and perry's like no i got you covered you know we managed to keep it going and honestly like <laughs> what a what a great job that was you know when you had some freedom as a youth and all i was doing was you know like had some money in my pocket from having played in Europe. That was, uh, that was a good time, but that's when I realized I had to, uh, 
you know, do something with my life, man. Like I wasn't making a hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm making, you know, and saving, I don't know, between 20 to $40,000 or whatever it was. Like I'm spending it. And I said, Hey, so it got to this point where I had moved on to Iceland, which was the last uh, pro job I ever had. And they had me as player assistant coach. And uh, so I was helping out a younger guy who was the head coach and I was also playing. So I was kind of just, you know, giving him some information and um, I'm in this hotel room next to the Reykjavik uh, airport in Iceland. And I'm like, holy man, like, what am I doing this year? What am I doing next year? Like, I can't keep doing this. So I made a list. And I learned something from Jay Triano at one point, one of his talks. And I've actually heard him say the same thing a few times. is just about making a list of goals and putting it somewhere where you can see it all the time and then trying to follow through on, on that list. And so I, I sat there in that hotel room in Iceland and I made a list. And, and it said, okay, like, what am I going to do for a career? I said, okay, I think I know basketball well. I, I think I relate to people well I'd, I'd like to coach and I you know so I said okay well I got to finish my degree I still had a couple courses left on my degree and I said that was number one finish your degree two who do you know that can help you on the path and it was Kevin Hansen and Dave Crook were kind of my the two people I knew so I said hey, let's get in touch with them let's see what to do I needed to do my coaching levels that was number three NCCP do your coaching levels so, okay let's finish that off right and I had something, something else that, Hey, study the game was another one. Like learn more. Like you need to learn more about the game, more intricacies of the game. So I've got that piece of paper still and it's dated and uh, it's in a cardboard box here in my house. So anyways, that was after that two, two and a half years later, I had a head coaching job in the CIS. Like I had a five year plan to meet those goals. And I just went to work out. Like I went back to Lethbridge right away, got into classes, finished my degree, was knocking off my NCCP levels at the same time, uh, made a plan to go be an assistant coach with Crook at Winnipeg and start to do my NCCP level four at the, at the time. And all of a sudden everything just, uh, fell into place. Um, and, and I tell that story to the guys at our team all the time, just about making a list of goals and having a path to, to get to those goals. And that was a massive turning point in my life from just, you know, I wouldn't say goofing around playing basketball and chasing the ball around the world. It was an awesome experience, which I would never give up. But, it, you know, I became a lot more serious when I had that list. That's unreal. Um and also, too, like, you know, you called yourself a bit of a punk when you were younger, but just shows the maturity in yourself. And, you know, one thing try to preach to young people as well is, like, don't burn bridges, right? Because you never know, like, how things are going to work out. So you get to a crossroads in your life. You're like, I've got to move on. What do I want to do? All right. There's a couple people that, you know, mentored me and helped me, but I also, like, worked hard for them and did what I could and, and was respectful and still have a relationship with them because I think all of us get to a point where there's someone that we need to fall back on and use. And it's okay to use the term use, but you were using them to to guide you and help you, right? So there's also that, like, you with the ability and focus to, like, sit down and look at your goals, but also, all right, who's been in my life that I can go back and and help support me to get to the next phase, which is, I think is a huge thing for young people to, to listen to. Yep. Good, man. Can't I'm always good. be Kit's Pub and uh, Kit's Beach, you know? No, it can't, although that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> 
Good Lad Clothing is the most unique shopping experience in the Lower Mainland. The owner, Shane Meyer, has worked hard to create a personal experience, offering clothing, specialized coffee, haircuts, and beard trims. Located in Lower Lonsdale at 221 West Esplanade in North Vancouver, seconds from the sea bus. If you are unable to make it to the store, you can shop online at shopthefoldgroup.com. And oh yeah, in-store, if you mention a hoops journey, you'll receive 15% off anything store-wide. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Located in the heart of Port Moody on Brewers Row, Parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around. If you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 Murray Street, then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's Streaky Jump Shot. We hope to see you Parkside. And then, like you say, like your your coaching career is wild. Um, you jumped in, you've done provincial teams, you've been part of coaching with Canada, FISU Games, like so many different things. Just talk a little bit about that that coaching journey and how it's gone for you. You know, finding yourself so early on with a squad that gets you to like a national final, like so early, right? And just so many interesting yeah. things have happened for you um, within that, and just talk about that process and how that's gone for you. Well, the one thing, I mean, I took a different route to becoming a U sport coach than a lot of people had. I mean, a lot of people would go like high school and then you, maybe you coach, you coach high school for a bunch and then you coach college and then you coach university or et cetera. I mean, and I kind of did that pro route. I mean, I chased a basketball around Europe and learned what not to do from a lot of coaches in Europe as much as I, I learned what to do, you know, I mean, every coach I had in Europe, I learned some lesson that's kind of gone into the, the data banks and uh actually one year in holland we had this american coach this old grumpy guy out of chicago right and and uh, he hears that he hears that we've uh, gone out drinking after a loss one saturday night so we've gone out for a few beverages you know and so the next day it's like a sunday he brings us in at like 8 a.m for a practice and just starts running us right so he's just uh pissy and he takes uh, particular he's pissy with me for whatever reason so he just starts ripping into me there's nothing i can do right that he won't rip into me even if i don't make a mistake even if i like make the right play he's gonna rip into me he's proven a point and it got so bad like guys on the team were like looking away like they were still there, like oh man you know craddock's just getting 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 it today and, uh, but I, I, it's funny because I never broke. I just said, yes, coach, yes, coach, yes, coach. The whole time as frustrated as I got, you know, and, uh, what a lesson I learned though, as just a coaching, you know, like, Hey, don't do that. You know, it was, it was what I learned from that. Like I learned some things to do, some things not to do. He was a brilliant coach. He was actually the best uh, coach I ever had over there, but, um, he, he just ripped me, but, uh, you know, but 
I paid my dues. Like I, as much as I had a different path, I mean, I chased a ball around all these different countries, traveling, awesome experience. But by the time I got back to Lethbridge, I started coaching provincial teams. The first one I had was like U16 girls. So I'm driving around Alberta coaching U16 girls. And then, uh, you know, the the next year I'm out there coaching U17 boys as I do my assistant work with Dave Crook at University of Winnipeg. And and during that time, I went to the basketball in Manitoba, and this is the VHS days. They had a library of VHS coaching tapes, all those uh, basketball champions. Is that what they were called? Basketball champions? Yeah, yeah. Something, and yeah. I, I mean, I went, through, I went through 100 of them. I had a little apartment rented in a basement uh, of Wolseley, this hippie area in Winnipeg, and I would just go back there every night and watch two or three videos. Say, hey, Rick Pitino's 1211 Press, you know, uh, uh, Rick Majerus, defensive stance. You know, I, I just like all these things because I said, hey, if I'm going to be a coach, like there's so many things that I don't know about. You know, I just know what I've learned from playing for Kev, my high school coach, these European teams. So I watch videos, Amoeba. I would watch Jerry Tarkanian's Amoeba, you know, like, so I like, yeah. I better give some credit to Basketball Manitoba. They had a serious collection of uh, VHS tapes that I went through, you know, and uh, that was part of my process. And then that summer, the Brandon job opened up and I had some people, uh, you know, uh, to go on my resume. And the AD there, who was Rick Nickelchuk, loved that guy, gave me a chance. He said, hey, I like this guy. He doesn't have a massive coaching background, but I, you know, he, he gave me a shot and I, and I respect that. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's awesome, man, for sure. And, and then talk about that time there. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, but I mean, in every job I've had, I've come in after someone that was the most successful person at coaching in that history. I mean, yeah. so well, Gary, I never thought of that. Right. I had horror. And then even at Fraser Valley, Pat Lee was, you know, the, the, the strongest coach of that play. He, he had a lot of success there and has, a uh, you know, and, and did a great job for years with Fraser Valley college. So every place I came, so I come in after him and it's just, I mean, it's just, it was just weird. So the best thing that happened to me was Mike rainbow. I, I, I went to the community and I said, Hey, who, who around here can I get to be my assistants? Because you're only as good as your assistants, man. Like we've all learned this. It's not just the head coach. It's the whole groupie. And I said, I, I need people. And I didn't want Jerry's guy. Like I, I needed to separate myself from that time of the program and to start new. It was my time to coach, you know? And so some smart people said, hey, call this rainbow guy up. And Rainbow was like doing whatever he was doing. And, you know, and now uh, just to say uh, off the record, I, I mean, I think, I think Rainbow is one of the top coaches in, in the country. He doesn't get nearly enough respect for what he does at a, at a tough place to be successful at University of Winnipeg. And so he's done a fantastic job with his career and won a national championship at uh, at, at uh, UNBC in the college level. So so he comes on board, and those were the, those were just great years. Like you know when you when you get along, when you got a buddy that you're coaching with, and you're just looking forward to going in and making the guys better every day and breaking down tape and uh you know like that that's been the funnest and one summer uh gill who's obviously a brandon and rainbow and i we were all doing provincial team together for a little while before those guys had to take off and got some different jobs but those, those are the best times coaching hey eh? when you're like you and your assistant coaches you know like just getting along and you got a good group of guys that are listening to you and you know that's that's what makes it all fun 
Oh, totally. I, I like, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall when the three of you were coaching the provincial team that one summer. Like, <laughs> you know, the same, just like you and Goulet, you know, you and Goulet hanging out there, coaching up uh, Plum. And who did you have? Scott Allen? Is he the other guy? Yeah, Scott Allen. Yeah. I think, times, uh, I think that, didn't you guys go out to Regina? Yep. Yeah. So that was, that was my first year at Brandon. So you were coaching the provincial team with Goulet and uh, Scott Allen. I think Doug Plum was on the team as a player and we rainbow and I drove over from Brandon to, to recruit. And I think Sacre was on the team. Sacre, Brent Malish, Alex Murphy, Scotty Lee, Bull Kong, too old. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, man. Funny how it all it all comes uh, together there, and uh, yeah. But uh, you know what? We had some awesome guys in that Brandon program, and Danny Charlery was one. I, I went out to Montreal, and he had already kind of committed to Brandon before I got the job. But in the coaching change, he was in the lurch. So I fly out to Montreal, meet with Charlery, just confirm that he's going to come. He's like, "Okay, I'm coming," and that's where we picked up uh, Nate Grant as well, and through Andy Herzog, who was uh, uh, you know my contact because uh, he was my agent playing pro. So I had a tie into the Montreal community. And then Ewell had been recruited out there, I believe, from Jerry, if not, if not from Les Berry, who was there for a couple of years. And uh, and then Chad Jacobson was a local guy that was coming back to play. And you look at these guys now. Chad's full time assistant at Sask. Nate's the head coach at Laval. Then Ewell's the assistant coach at UCAM with another Brandon guy, Mario Joseph. I mean, it was uh, a great. Uh, crew of guys and uh, that we had out there yeah i love hearing those old, old school names man that's awesome and like frig you guys make the national final at what point were you like holy smokes we're rolling here or did you did you realize kind of mid-season that you guys had an opportunity to make a real push for it Dude, I, I, I knew from the beginning that our team was awesome. I was just, we picked up this American guy, Yuri Wims, who was like 6'8 and had a couple years of eligibility left. And uh, we had this guy, Stevens, who was a, a, a post player out of Montreal. Loved that guy. And uh, I just looked at our group and we picked up a couple of BC kids, John Thompson, who was coming out of uh, Douglas and uh, Taylor Cheris Wilden who uh, wanted to, to play one more year. So we had this squad, and I was looking at the squad and thinking, man, this crew's legit. Like, we're good. But the funny thing is, like, like I'm so early in my coaching career, and it just gives you pause when you look back and realize how you're always learning, you know? Like, at, at that point, I knew I didn't know it all, but, I, you know, I was a cocky young coach that wanted to believe in what I thought was the right way to coach a team. And now I look at what I've learned since then. I'm like, geez, I knew nothing. Like, how the hell did we get that team to the national final? I and mean, we lost by a, a shot at the buzzer. Like, we had a shot to go to overtime. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's still one of the most frustrating experiences of my life because we were a coaching career because we were so, uh, so close. Right. Um, but, uh, man, you, you just, it just gives you a pause to realize how we're always learning as coaches, no matter what I think is the right way to play the game today. What I learn over the next five and 10 years is, you know, you're just going to keep learning and, and, and that, that's the way to get the most out of it. Yeah. Does it make you, upon reflection, re- like enjoy 
certain moments a little bit more now, you know, like, like when you do qualify, realizing now realizing how hard it is to just even qualify for the nationals, let alone make a run to the final. Like, do you, or are you like going to enjoy and reflect on all that when you just hang it up and, and you can look back on your career? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, this is two years of Brandon, five Fraser Valley, seven and eight. This would technically be my ninth year here. So I'm at around 16 years as a head coach at U Sport. And, 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 I, I, had, and, I, played, and I played pro before that. I was assistant before. Like, I haven't, this COVID thing right now, I haven't had a year off of basketball. We weren't competing in something since, you know, grade 10 of high school. Like you're going back to like 87, 88, like you're talking about 30 something straight years of competing. It's crazy, man. Like, I don't know what to do when Friday nights are going on right now. Like I'm not having to be in a gym on Friday night is a, is a bizarre experience for me right now. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a whole lot of like uh, wives and girlfriends in Canada right now that are either happy or hating it, right? <laughs> yeah, probably hating it as much as yeah. they want us. Well, we drive them crazy, right? It's yeah. uh, it started the third of it started COVID. They're like, "Oh, it'll be so nice here, home more." And then, like two weekends in, they're like, "What are you doing here again? And why are you bothering me?" <laughs> For sure. But you know what? It's so true, though, man. Like every time you manage to get to a national championship is just an honor and an accomplishment. And, you you know, as all of us that have been a part of teams, like you're doing it as a group. And and those are the things I look back on and just be like, oh, man, what an awesome ride that was. And unfortunately, I never you know, being able to be a part of winning that whole thing in a national championships to this point. And, you know, that's something I would love to experience, but man, those, those can you pause for a sec? We got a special guest who just walked into the office here. Uh, we're just sitting down, chopping it up with none other than Barnaby Craddock. Barnes. What's up? Zimmerman. Woo, Dobby. What's up, brother? How you doing, Barnes? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's uh, good to hear from you, dude. I, I miss yeah, you, you too. You too, uh, one of the best university coaches in North America. How's it going, big dog? Hey, we're just catching up. Hey, were were you on that UBC team that came out to Lethbridge with uh, and Dykstra was on the team and uh, it was a controversial ending and the Horns won in overtime? Were you on that team? I no, I think I was the year after. I remember I play, I had one year with Dykstra. Um, but I don't think that was, we had some controversial stuff in Calgary, but not in Lethbridge. I just remember playing on that concrete floor in Lethbridge and like my knees and ankles being like so sore for a week after. Yeah. And I remember there was, there was this guy, like guy named Barnaby that would like average 31 a game or something. I remember that guy too. Yeah. I think that's Navi Seacon we're talking about. Oh, right. Right. Navi Seacon. Yeah. yeah. Go right. Go right. Navi. You know what's funny? I text. I text Dykes mid podcast and he's and he texts me back and he's like, he didn't even talk about the game. He's like, oh yeah, the game where I had like 15 in the first five minutes and Bruce forgot about me. He's still salty about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. They had a lot of talent, man. If you're, you know, that's crazy. <laughs> so anyway, I'll I'll let you guys continue your pod here. Uh, great to hear your voice, brother. You too, Bob, man. I hope I uh, hope all's well. Yeah, hopefully we can connect in person one day. Okay, buddy. Good, good seeing you. Take care. All right. You got it. Bye-bye. <laughs>
the the man the schnitzel himself zimmy yeah. <laughs> yeah we're at school we record recording at school so um yeah man it's like uh when i was reading and researching about you and obviously no almost everything about your kind of career but i couldn't believe that you'd been at u of a that long already like i just where does the time go and where do the memories happen and and uh what do you where where do you see yourself next five six seven years what does that look like for barnaby craddock just keep him uh, doing his thing or is there yeah. a national team that you want to get involved with again or you know I, I i just we're just loving it here i mean my daughter's in grade two so that's uh that's pretty cool and uh she actually has a little uh, you know, grade uh, seven-year-old basketball team camp thing she goes to, you know, when COVID allows us. That's at the same time as one of our practices. So we'll go up there and she'll go to her court because you've never seen this new facility at uh, U of A. It's massive. It's got like 12 full-size courts. So she'll go to one court and then we've got our practice down the hall and she just comes over and into our practice at the end. So that's pretty cool. I enjoy having my daughter uh, around there. And, uh, you know, it's a great job. U of A athletics department is, uh, you know, they just take the sport seriously. They support us, obviously, you know, everywhere in Canada is struggling right now with, with, uh, post-secondary athletics, but in general, my perspective is one of the best jobs in the country and I love it here. And, uh, so yeah, we just keep plugging along and, you know, hopefully we can break through and, and, and win a title, uh, one of these times, but it's not easy going and, uh, just enjoying the battle every year man we've been fortunate enough to get to a few national tournaments and you know there's there's so many good programs and coaches and players out there that we just feel fortunate we've had those opportunities uh sure would be great, great to break through and win the whole thing one time but it's it's been a great run man hopefully we can just keep it going yeah it's awesome i've always loved playing at u of a um great facility you can just tell people care and yeah you're you know you're in a good spot there for sure but more importantly you know before we get you on your way who are the top five greatest rappers of all time <laughs> man just just changing uh pace on us here are you yeah let's do it <laughs> You know, like, I, listen, you, I don't know how many, I don't know how many episodes you've listened to probably more than Gil Chung, apparently, <laughs> but, uh, like we don't talk about the rap, like the top five rappers with many people. Cause not, not many people are, have the same passion about it, which is fine. But if you're going to say you were in the, you know, late eighties bumping Rakim and whatever you said, you need to, to let us know who the top five rappers are of all time for you. Well, you know what's funny is uh, I told my my wife I was coming on and she rem and she remembers you because we all went to the Commodore on Granville to uh, um, no, it wasn't EPM Dayless it was Dayless Soul and your brother the whole went on stage. I don't remember that. Yeah, I got on stage. Was Can it Day was it was it Dayla? Yeah, it was Dayla. I don't remember you going, but your brother was there, and 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 my wife just really remembers him just bopping his head to tunes like the whole night. Homie was loving it. <laughs> oh yeah, they invited everyone up. I climbed up on stage, man. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Commodore. I know we're better for concerts, man. I love that place. It, 
Uh, Dela had some serious issues with Def Jam, hey? Really? Yeah, like they they were basically for the last couple of years have said like please don't stream any of our music because Def Jam is like they signed a really bad contract when they were young and Def Jam's just being really dirty about it, man. Like real talk about dirty pool. So feel bad for those guys. I mean, when you think like 80s 90s rappers, right? Like they made their money, they made their money touring. Like that's what they did. They made their money touring and like if you sign a bad contract and you're De La Soul and you can't tour anymore, like, is the money running out for you right now? I don't know. I wonder, but. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. you see these guys doing tours when they're super old. I mean, it's not like, it's not like you got the Rolling Stones and they're filling out some massive stadium and they're all oh. old. The dentures are falling off, but you get yeah. guys, you get these, these bands coming and playing just like the smallest little place. Oh. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And then you look it up and they're yeah, the ticket's like twenty two ninety five. You're like, oh, this is this is dark times, man. Dark times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But uh Yes, yeah. stop stolen. Oh. Um, okay, okay. Like I mean, there's some people that are just gonna be in there for everyone. I think you gotta have Biggie. You gotta have I mean Jay Z for me, uh was was big. And then I got the West Coast. I'm a West Coast guy, so I'm not going to say like Snoop, Dre, and everyone, Cube, but I think this, that group there, uh, that that Dog Pound, that Dre group there. And, uh, and then one that maybe people don't have but is maybe my top is The Roots. I love The Roots. They might be my favorite uh, hip-hop group and i know they're on jimmy kimmel now but back in the days you know black thought quest love my favorite hip-hop song of all time what they do that's an old school jam from the roots so i don't know i don't know who i have you've you've obviously seen them live a bunch too right you know what i think twice and uh for whatever reason, I don't remember one of the times, which was at the Commodore. <laughs> we won't, so, talk. We won't talk about that. <laughs> my memory's not great these days. But that's four. I don't know who my fifth would be. I mean, I really liked I really liked most Def and Nos. I don't think there'd be in a lot of people's. I mean, I was a big public enemy guy growing up. I mean, that just, it just comes from the time. Like, you talk to people now, they're going to say Drake, and it's just going to be like talking about LeBron versus Jordan or something. But it's just like you, you are from the area that you came after. Sure. Yeah. I've, I would have most stuff as well, personally. Have you heard the new Black Thought album yet? No. Need to get on that. He just dropped okay. it. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's – he's like – I kind of like underappreciated him for a long time, but now – I've just spent a lot of time listening to his stuff and and grown to like I didn't have wouldn't have the roots in my top five, but they've definitely like come around for me more and learned to appreciate them and they're they're dope, man. But the new Black Thought album is really really good. You got to check that out. The roots that that elevated them for me. So my argument, you know, it's just not we're not just listening about you know money and broads. You can edit out me saying and I mean, the root come with that conscious conscience flavor, right? And yeah. and I think that, and then the whole live instrument thing. I mean, freaking live instruments in there. No one was doing that. 
right? No. Everyone else is just beatboxing in the background. You know, LL is going on bad. And, you know, these guys come out with live instruments. And I think that, to me, always, that's what put them in there. I'd agree. I would wholeheartedly 100% agree with that. It's phenomenal. They're they're amazing. And my bro and I actually went to, remember the Purple Onion? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Quest Love did like a two-hour DJ set at the Purple Onion, like, oh, late wow. 90s. He had, all he had was like a huge bed sheet up on the wall, and it was black <laughs> and white, old school break beats, break dancers on, on video, and he just yeah. spun records for two hours. It was unbelievable. We paid like 20 bucks, man. It was wild. That sounds awesome. I love the purple. Lady. That was a good spot. Then that little uh, jazz room up there too, like a little quiet. Yeah, yeah man. Okay. Let's see here. Who's the greatest player you've played against or players? You've named a few already or played, played a, with. Yeah. play. I mean, played against. I mean, when I played university, Heinrichsen was the guy over at UVic and, uh, you know, and when I, when I and I played a bunch of guys in Europe, you know, I remember this one guy that was from North Carolina. It was Derek Phelps, and he was playing for uh, Byron Leverkusen. And uh, I mean, he picked me twice at like our own free throw line <laughs> before I woke up and was like, "Hey, someone else, bring the ball up against this dude," you know. Um, <laughs> so and I think he probably only averaged like eight points a game for those guys. I mean, I wasn't the world's greatest professional by any means, but. Um, you know, uh, guys that I played with, I, I really thought, you know, Novell and, and Willis Croft. And eventually I played with some other dudes like Bob Hilchies and Pete Morris. And, you know, those guys were were pretty legendary. Um, a little pickup ball at one point with J.D. Jackson. He was the real deal. Yeah. Um, he was as Bobby Hilchies, STM. Was he really? I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That guy, like, how did he stayed so fit for so long and could still hoop at, like, a high level for so long? It was crazy. Yeah, unbelievable, eh? Him and Pete Morris, just, like, those two guys. Um, Unbelievable. But uh, who else did I talk about? Um, uh, You know the the best guys that I've coached against, too? One of them that people will talk about is is Jacob Dirksen. That guy? For Canada was unbelievable. Like, geez, of all the guys that I that I've uh, coached against, and you know, obviously, uh, you know, Phil Scrub and you know, a couple of these guys that went out to Carlton were, had had great careers. But Turkson was tough, man. Like, he really he was. was a mismatch. Yeah, I remember Kev trying to get him to UBC. They were trying to get him for both, right, football and and oh, hoops. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, he was a stud for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about ketchup on macaroni? No, I can't. I'm not going to talk about this craziness. I will. I will tell you this though about the goat. I mean, this is a discussion that needs to be whoa, had. Whoa, 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 whoa! You're just moving on past ketchup. On, not yeah. even touching it. No, man. You're not going to waste your time talking about chips and dip and ketchup and macaroni, dude. Let's talk about something that needs to be said, and that is, this generation needs to realize that LeBron is not the GOAT. Michael Jordan is, and LeBron's a great player, and hey, welcome to the top two to five of all time. Congrats. That's no, no you know, small accomplishment. But Michael Jordan 
you look at those videos and the pounding he would take, and sure, sure, LeBron's bigger and stronger, but you're not just throwing people to the ground like you did back in the days coming through the bad boys and, and the Knicks. And you know this young generation watched the documentary, so they should start to understand how Jordan built it all up in Chicago and didn't jump ship. And LeBron was awesome, and he's won. But if you want to be the GOAT, you can't switch from Cleveland to Miami to the Lakers. You cap out at two, just automatically. You can't see Jordan flipping around and playing with Larry Bird to win another championship. He just brought Pippen up to his level. And the biggest argument I say to people to talk about LeBron is you can't forget LeBron's years in Cleveland when he would just pack it in down the stretch. I remember watching those games live and LeBron's team would just kind of disappear and he would kind of quit in the fourth quarter. There were some times that happened, okay? LeBron, uh, Jordan never. He just compete to the death every time, and that's why he was the GOAT. Six championships, the college championship. Hey, Welcome to two to five spot, LeBron. Congrats. But you can't just jump ship around if you want to be the GOAT. He would have needed to do it all in Cleveland or Miami. Oof. Wow, that was I felt like that was being held in for 83 minutes here. Yeah, it pisses me off. I remember I just remember watching him play at Cleveland and kind of quit and not get it done down the stretch in some fourth quarters and just noticing the difference having grown up with Jordan. I remember watching Jordan play at the Grizzlies in Vancouver and they were down in the fourth quarter and he subbed back in and put in like 15 straight points and just subbed himself back out. It's like peace game. Like Yeah. Cuz Derek Martin chirped him on the sideline, you freaking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I agree, though, man. I agree. I, I, I agree with you with uh, many things that you said there in that debate. My biggest thing, too, is like it's something we'll never be able to figure it out. But like why for the LeBron sensitive stands that are out there? Why is being like two to five? Not what, what since when is that a bad thing? Like and the guy gets up there after this past title and says, I want my damn respect. Like what in the world? Yeah. What in the world? I yeah. get it. A lot of people crap on him and people go over the top and he's probably one of the most scrutinized ever. He also does have a tattoo on his back, say chosen one. He did also, you know, put himself out there in a lot of ways, right. To, to, to garner that sort of negative, negative stuff. But like, since when is being two to five and like, would you, do you want to be maybe the second best basketball player of all time, Barnaby? I'd like to be the second best basketball player of all time. I, I don't get I don't get it. And I and it's not like I'm a LeBron hater. I'm not. I, I really respect also how he's kept himself out of. No, if, if you don't bad. think he's the best, he's you're a hater. If you don't think he's the best, you're a hater. Just so you know. Uh, yeah. Well, see. Yeah. But I mean, what a phenomenal job he's done with all the pressure and expectations on him to rise to the top and meet, you know, all the expectations. And he doesn't have some, you know, crazy, you know, Tiger Woods type incident that brought him down at some point, you know, uh, like I give him all the credit for living a, a good life and being super successful. And number two, if you want to say he's number two, fine. Sure. I'm not going to, I don't care. You want to say he's better than Wilt and Bill Russell and these guys, you know, like fine, that's good, but he's not better than Jordan. You heard it here folks. But really though, you, you, you don't want to talk about chips. 
No? <laughs> Put some dip up on that chip. Cool. I don't even know what just the question plain, is. Just, really just plain ruffles with dip? Like, that's all you got for me? Oh, come on, man. I mean, we all like a little flavor. You got to have a, how about some, uh, some, something natural? Let's get a little hummus on some uh, tortilla. How about that? Ooh, hummus on tortilla, hey? A little salt, okay. Salsa. Yeah, yeah. Hey, no, no one wants to listen to us talk about a my career probably, and b definitely not what chips I like. <laughs> You'd be surprised the feedback we get about this this stuff. Okay, you know it 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 led to Corbin and I getting a box each, a box of hard bite chips sent our way. So don't downplay things, man. All right. <laughs> Couple more questions. We'll get you on your way. This has been amazing, dude. Who's been the most important person or people in your life? I mean, definitely, you know, my my parents and I, and I. Geez, man, once you become, I mean, and you're going through this now. Once you become a parent and you realize all the things you do for those kids, you're just like, oh man, my parents were the greatest people ever. Like, how did they help me along this path? And. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, my, my dad was a physics prof. My mom was uh, uh, an English prof. So she was the art side. He was the science side. So, like, I got kind of both aspects from those two. And, and they were they were awesome. You know, mentorship-wise, Crook for sure. Dave Crook is just, he's just a leader of men. He's one of those guys you talk to, you trust. He's a voice of, of reason. I mean, he's really set me on, on the right path. Um, and one of the things I say to like for, for mentors is I have, you know, like every time I get a text from guys on my team for, you know, whatever, 16, 17 years now, you know, you know, same with you. Like what are guys on your team? They always want something, right? Like when do you get the text messages from the team? Hey coach, how's your day going? Like you don't get that, right? Like that's the job as us as coaches is we're there to support these groups. And hey, that's just that's just the way that it is. But what I learn is I really need to respect these people that have spent all that time helping me along the way. And I mean, so obviously Crook was at the top, but you know, Kevin Hansen, I mean, him and him and Perry at Langara, they really helped uh, teach me the game and uh kevin and i are still friends to this day it's 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 uh it's hard for us sometimes as we coach against each other so there's that competitive nature but we you know i, I like to think we've both been able to uh, respect each other uh, along the way so i really you know try to respect the people that helped me and kev was uh, one of them um Along the way, I've made some good friends with people like Ken Shields and, and Scott Clark, who I really respect. I think they are, are brilliant basketball minds, and I you know, uh, like to consider those two guys friends, and I always ask them questions about the game. Uh, you know, I'd even be lucky to have someone like, uh, you know, I say this to coaches too, like if you ever, can ever get, ask some of these coaches to come out and help you or sit down with you. Like I've had Allison McNeil come out to one of our U of A practices once and help teach something that she was, you know, very knowledgeable about it. So I got to thank Allison and any of Mike McNeil at times I would call up and say, Hey, what do you think about this and that? And, you know, there's these people and, and Ken Shields at Fraser Valley. I had Ken Shields come in and run practices for a couple of days and teach some, you know, defensive stance stuff. So anyone out there coaching, if you get a chance to, to you know find some people in the community that are sort of experts in their field get them out there and pick their brains you know it's surprising how often these people you know will come out and, and be helpful but you know i i definitely 
respect all those guys for, you know, having helped me uh, along the way. Great stuff. I, I agree too. Like when I was younger, I thought like, all I wanted to do was win and then I'm just going to keep everything to myself, you know, but I became a way better coach when I expanded my coaching circle and started to share things and like get things back. You know, that's when I really started to become a better coach. It wasn't the years where I was like just trying to do it by myself and not, you know, let anybody know about my secrets, which weren't really secrets because everyone sees your team play anyways, you know? Yeah. So I think that collaboration is, is huge to, yeah, that's awesome. And, I, and a side note, I'd love to see if if you can talk to Ken Shields and Scott Clark and get those two guys on. That's a request for me. I'd love to hear those guys uh, uh, break down on things. They got a, they got a lot of good stuff to say. You want to you want to take the show over too, or no, not not so much. You're, 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 the man. <laughs> you're the man. You're doing your thing. I just throwing in my two cents. You know, there's nothing wrong. With got you, brother. Track. We got a list, man. I you know. Absolutely. I mean, Scott obviously know well, and Ken is like an icon. So, you know, that would be phenomenal to get those guys on sent, get the text message sent after this episode. Um, and also you're talking about like, you know, the guys, yeah. Hey coach, how's your day going? Well, you know, as Corbin sitting in the room here as a producer of our show played for me, he runs a, you know, a bit of a club team here called the Burnaby Knights. And like, I had to beg this guy to get a freaking backpack, like beg him. <laughs> Like, do you think, do you, do you think, do you think, do you think that like he's ordering all this gear and swag for the kids? Like, do you think I crossed his mind once? Like not once Barnes and I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. I haven't got this backpack yet. It is in a depot somewhere in Pakistan. It's just what we do, man. Right. We're, you know, we're servant leaders, man. It's what we do. Right. Barnes. Okay. Yeah, sure. Give him a backpack. (laughs) Okay, man, loving this episode. Uh, but if you had a chance to do it all again, you would what? Um, you know what? I, I I would be more. I would be more coachable. I would be more teachable. I would. I would listen more and. Even to my parents, like I said, it, it took me a while to realize there's times at university where I had like straight A's, but it took a long time to get to that point, you know, where I was not going to class or failing a class and just making my life harder in the long run. It's not that hard. It's not that hard to go to school and pull off some decent grades and still go and have fun and play your sport on the side, you know, put in the word, get it done. I, I regret that I just screwed around a, a little too much. I mean, you know, your life is, I got no regrets. I, I, I live my life the way I live my life and I'm happy to be where I'm at. I feel super fortunate and blessed for all the things that I've got, but for sure, just should have listened more and, you know, just taking care of the business, stop being, you know, just be a student and take care, take care of your business. Yeah. That's good, man. I like that. Um, this has been so fun because it's just the names that we're kind of in the same circle. And I agree, we need to we need to chat more. And we'll we'll say that's 50-50 on that. So there's the challenge going forward from here is to to make sure that that continues. But um, like the names that you've mentioned and the people, you know, those are all people that you know I know, and it's, that's what fun is just to hear everybody's own version of their own story. And before we let you go on your way, is there anyone you feel like you've left out, or a, a last shout out, or reflection, or something? And I know that the, so many people out here on the West Coast are going to love it, and I hope there's lots of people that kind of 
you know, we, you're not a big social media guy, but we'll find a way to get the hoops journey out to the Edmonton area too, you know? Yeah. I never been a social media guy. I just kind of try to go about my business and, and, and take care of my thing. But I don't know. I, I've probably forgotten. There's so many people in lower mainland basketball that you and I both know. And, and, and I love it. I feel like I got a, a great relationship with all these people, you know, who I played with, played against over the year. And I, I love the, that group. I mean, my family and I are super happy here in Edmonton and making new friends and love this basketball community, but it's, it's sure fun to catch up with your roots too and talk about it. I enjoyed it, man. It was fun. I love, uh, I love what you're doing. You guys keep this thing going. Uh, you're just doing a, a great service to uh, the basketball community. I think everyone loves, you know, here and maybe not me, but some of these other guys and girls you're getting on here. Don't fool yourself, man. Everyone's going to love this episode. One thing, Barnes, is like I, you're just always a upbeat, you know, you always find a way to have the positive. You have a smile on your face. You know, I didn't, I've never, ever heard you really complain about anyone or anything. And, and I think that's why people go to bat for you. That's why they respect you. And that's why they appreciate having you in their lives because you're just a great guy. And we were so excited to have you on, man. You know, personally for me, uh, the journey that we've had the chance to go through and then watching you and do your coaching thing. And like Dom said, being one of the best coaches out there is is phenomenal. And it's great to sit back and support you in our own little way, man. So we're very uh, respectful and thankful that you came on to, to be with us. Well, I appreciate it, man. It was my, my, that was a lot of fun. I have fun, man. We just got to just uh, chop it up more often, you know, not just on this uh, podcast. Cause uh, it's just, you know, like there's so many good stories and good times and good people in that BC basketball circle. And it's fun to catch it up. I mean, I haven't, I haven't mentioned the, uh, the, the belly roll. So you can cut that out. I left that off the whole conversation for you. I mean, do you not want to end on that? Like, I, I just drop in the mic. I said belly roll. I drop in the mic. <laughs> Leave that to people's imagination, I guess. Hey, hey, it's you. I mean, you can tell your players about it. It's the Yikes. thing of legend. The thing of legend. <laughs> So good, man. Shout out to our sponsors. Everybody like and subscribe to the podcast. Coach Craddock, our boy. Um, nothing but continued success. Keep the guys safe out there. Keep your family safe. Um, and one day we'll watch you hoist that U Sport uh, trophy. And it'll be well-deserved, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, brother. Be good. Be safe. You got it. We'll see you on our next episode.